there's a couple interesting things, or I guess there's, damn it, son of a whore. <clears throat> Let me go. Uh, son of a I, whore. I gotta find my notes. Where are we? Um, oh yeah, the, the shithole. Um, <laughs> they get to the town. <laughs> it is. I had. That's uh, one of my notes. Shithole. Shithole. Welcome to another episode of The Award Goes To with Patrick and Lauren, where we celebrate the films that have won Best Picture throughout the years and discuss the history of filmmaking one Oscar winner at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick Pizzolarusso, and with me is... Lauren Olipra. Hey, Lauren, how's it going? I'm all right. How you doing? I'm doing good. On this episode, The Award Goes To Cimarron. Cimarron! Which won Best Picture in the 1930-1931 award season. It also won Best Writing Adaptation to Howard Estabrook and Best Art Direction to Max Ray. It, at the same time, was nominated for Best Actor, Actress, Director, and Cinematographer. It is also starring Richard Dix, Irene Dunn. It was produced by RKO Radio Pictures, which I think this is one of two that they won, and that's a... Mm -hmm. Um, and I, yeah, they didn't have a lot of heavy hitters, apparently. They were like, eh, enough of those movies. We're going to stick to the small screen. <laughs> That's where <laughs> the real money is Stick to your at. strengths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, quick synopsis. A newspaper editor settles in an Oklahoma boomtown with his reluctant wife at the end of the 19th century. That's, that's such a broad stroke. It is. It really um, is, because like... So I had to look up – I actually, fact-checking for this movie was kind of fun, and I started going down a rabbit hole when I started the process. And, you know, first of all, in the film, I, th I believe that his son – so the main character's name is Yancey, and his son is named Sim, C-I-M, which I believe is short for Cimarron. So he named his son Cimarron, which was actually – which is the title of the movie, but also Cimarron – is a reference to Cimarron territory, which is what people use to refer to the unsettled land of the West and the Midwest. And more specifically, in this film, um, the land was uh, what was going to become Oklahoma, but hadn't been named yet. And it was inhabited by Native American tribes, such as the Cherokee and the Sioux. And in 1886 is when the government declared these lands open to settlement. So that's where we begin our tale with Cimarron, our right? Our journey with Cimarron <laughs> is there's a ton of unclaimed land in the Cimarron territory. And in the movie, he even says Cimarron means wild or unruly, which I think yeah. is kind of cool that he named his son that. When I started watching this, I assumed the lead character was going to be Cimarron. Yeah. I didn't know and what Cimarron was, like, was meant oh, it's like, his kid. at all. Yeah. Well, and then I thought, okay, the kid's going to grow up to be this... I was waiting for him to be, like, the sheriff of the town or something like that. Yeah, and I think I had a lot of expectations unfounded. The, I just was kind of the kid grasping in the dark. But Yeah, he's a kid for almost the whole movie. I know. That's <laughs> true. So I was like, all right. He's the I same. Guess. It's funny because the characters, like, it, it spans a couple of, what? 40 years. 40 years. Okay, so it spans 40 mm -hmm. years. But for a good portion of 40 years, the, the son stays the same age where they age, which was actually noted at the time that they, people were very impressed with how they aged the two main actors. But they did a you great know, job. when you really consider that you didn't really age the children until the very end, it was like... Eh. No, not at all. The movie starts in the most sitcom-y way I've ever seen a film oh, start. The That's opening credits? a serious film. Yes. Yeah. 
it was the cast of characters all mugging for the camera emoting emoting like i i just was like what i was picturing so like yeah every actor which is kind of a good idea because that way you can kind of see oh you can put a face to the name but i just pictured they're in like a a a sound stage with a black background and they're probably setting sitting each one of these actors down and being like okay without saying a word and in five seconds emote the, the true nature of your character and each one, like, they're they're just trying so hard, and it looks very over the top. And, like, I think it would have made more sense if we saw it after we saw the movie. But be- at the beginning of the movie, where we don't even know who these people are yet, you see them mugging, and it's just like, oh, okay, what? You know, I thought maybe that this is a throwback to theater. Because when you go to the theater, you get the playbill. And so you, of course, scour for anybody that you know that's in it and go, oh, I've seen them in that show or whatever. But you have a cast of characters. So you have an idea of who's playing what when you go in. So I thought maybe that's what this is. But it was so uh, it was bizarre. tone deaf compared to the rest of the film. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mugging. Because it's almost like yeah, mugging so much that it's almost indicative of a comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could easily see Joey from Friends being in this slideshow, like eating a sandwich and then looking at the camera. <laughs> and then it would just say, Yeah, Joey. it's got it's got the same like essence as a Will Ferrell anchorman bit. It does. You know, when they're doing the news and they'll like turn to the camera. It's very much like that. It it totally encapsulates that. So that sets up the film. Where did the uh, trident come from? <laughs> Brock I think killed you a killed a man. <laughs> Uh, well once we get to that it starts right off the bat with the oklahoma land rush we get terms for the sooners the boomers Uh, these are all the people that went to to settle the native land um, that was stolen from the native americans and they literally at at noon at the sound of a gun they just went racing off into I, the wild I, blue yonder. I have to say, like, I didn't know what to expect from this movie, but this opening scene, it was amazing. I was kind of like, oh, this isn't going to be a chore. I mean, later on, it became kind of a chore. But There's bits. Yeah, there's bits. But, like, this this opening scene, which had thousands of people, it looked like thousands of extras. They had wagon wheels and horses, and there was people of all kinds. There was a guy, what do they call that, a penny farthing? A penny farthing. There was a guy in a yes. penny farthing, to, like... Pedaling as fast as he can over this rough terrain to try to go claim his his land. <laughs> I, I saw that, and the people that stuck out to me were, there were some people running. And I thought, oh, well, you're not going to get any of the good land. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Good, good try. And then there's this fancy gentleman on a penny. Well, he wasn't fancy, but I always Well, he wasn't cowboy-like. He was more city-like. No. Yes. He was just like, uh, I'll show them. Ta-ting, ta-ting. I brought my giant wheeled <laughs> Any farthing. <laughs> Which does really well off-road. Some of the shots, though, in that were amazing. They were amazing. Cameras were clearly on. Uh, wagons, horses, whatever. And like there was mounted a on thought, the side, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I thought, is this in a soundstage and we're just as a projection behind it? But no, this was 
in real life they filmed during this this mock uh, land rush. Yeah, and so they actually filmed the majority of this, uh, the outside land rush stuff, out just outside of the border of Los Angeles. But for the key scenes of the production, RKO purchased 89 acres in Encino, and they built a complete western town and a three-block modern main street to function as like this fictional Oklahoma boomtown called Osage. And since then, other films have shot on this ranch, including um, The Hunchback of Notre Dame and It's a Wonderful Life, the, the big set, uh, like the town set was filmed on this ranch and they also had at one point a football field sized United States map on which Fred Astaire and Ginger Robert Rogers danced across of course they did yeah and this is all happening during the Great Depression RKO not only dumping money I know not only made this film for 1.5 million dollars I mean they had the means to do so but then they bought all of this land in Encino and it became a movie ranch like it's just amazing what they were able to accomplish I do know that the art director Max Ray won the Oscar for the creative design of that town so it was quite an accomplishment But jumping back to this rush in the very beginning of the film, more than 5,000 extras and 28 cameramen, camera assistants and photographers were were used to capture the scene. And I think the very first thing after these like hammy credits, the very first thing that hits me is that like, okay, we see this like the gun go off and there's this mad rush and everybody just starts charging to go get their their land. But there's, I don't know if you noticed this, and it's only a very brief second. There's one wagon wheel that just looks stalled out. It just, it's yes. Just, and there's also. He's like, yeah, and like nothing happens. <laughs> and there's also in one one of them, they lose some of their luggage or whatever. Oh, yeah, there was stuff flying bags. everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, these people are going to kill themselves falling <laughs> over things. The character that stuck out the most to me during this land rush, because I feel like it's still happening today in cars all across the world with families, is there's a father driving it. The kids are behind him screaming, and he turns around and is yelling at them, and you know he's going, I'll turn this wagon around. I know. I thought the same exact thing. It's hilarious. Not only did they have people of all kinds on all different modes of transportation, but they also had, there was also a woman on a horse ready to stake her claim. And she turns out, as we go along in the story, we figure out that her name is Dixie Lee. With the black tights. With the black tights. They kept tights. saying that over, they were like, at one point they're like, do you think you'd recognize her without her tights on? Yeah, and I didn't, I don't know, I'm curious what your opinion is and how you uh, perceive this. But it took me a really long time to realize that they that they were just beating around the bush saying that she's a prostitute. Prostitute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I It was hinted at, but I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I see but that people kind of look at her was. like she's a hussy, but like, is she a pro- It never was actually said because it was a very clean cut film. But I think that that's what they were alluding to was like the woman with the black tights. Maybe, maybe that yeah. had some significant meaning that you were, you know, in that I, profession. I, I don't think she actually was i think they were using it maybe a little derogatory because in that know. first she scene just, she dressed different than everybody else too later on I don't well know. she was definitely more independent she's the only woman who that we know of that made a claim for herself mm-hmm. and in that first scene in that land rush it was uh, great we, we meet the, the lead character who by the way everyone knows Everyone knows oh, oh my everyone gosh that's one of my notes Yancy. i'm like how does he literally know everyone in the west Everyone. Everyone in the West. Hi, And Nancy. I'm going to repeat that later because every time the times change and he meets new people, they know him. 
he knows everyone. So we meet up with him and he's headed for, he's got this spot picked out and he's headed for it. And he and Dixie Lee are, are, I don't want to say neck and neck, but they're headed for the same spot. And she basically steals his Oh, and it's an a plot. It's a, I really it's a enjoyed great, I, oh, I really enjoyed how she so did good. it. Because they come across so Yancey comes across this tr- like very deep trench and they're both on a single horse. And I'm like, okay, how is he gonna he, he can't he's gotta go around this trench, but he just takes that horse and goes right down and that horse is so agile, goes right down, like straight down into this trench and then comes out the other side. And I'm like, wow, that was really impressive. So then Dixie Lee's character comes across the same trench. She wants to get to the other side. Yancey stops to see what she's going to do. She tries to do it and ends up falling in, in the mud and her poor horse breaks all of its legs. So he has to like, he comes and he's a gentleman. So we're establishing his character. Okay. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a good man. He stopped. You know, he could have gone on and staked his claim, but he stopped to help this woman. And she you can kind of tell she first falls into the mud. She looks up to see if he's looking and then, like, pretends like it was worse than it was. He comes down to help her. She's like, oh, my horse broke all his legs. He's got to be put down. While he's going and doing the dirty work, she sneaks up and steals his horse and then goes on and gets the land. And I'm like, this is amazing. I love her. <laughs> she steals it and does, like, a little happy dance. And just, like, <laughs> well. I guess I'll go back home then. Yeah, well, uh, why you made the trek. Why didn't you just go find some more land? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, but I don't, it is also funny to me know. because she steals his horse, runs the horse like 10 yards, and then gets off the horse and puts the, <laughs> <That's it. laughs> the stake in the land. In this scene, is I, I remember audibly gasping when her horse goes down the trench. Oh, yeah. Thinking of, oh, they just broke that horse's legs. Um, and then in the story, that's what happens. I don't know. I don't know the fate of the horse in reality, but um, animals were not protected during this time. And it wasn't until 1939 that animals were actually there was a watchdog group. Um, the American Humane S- Association stepped in to actually protect animals on set in Hollywood. So during this movie, if anything was injured or or died on set they just didn't care yeah that's so um, I sad. read somewhere that they were like it's it's cheaper to replace a horse for ten dollars than to try to um save the horse's life and oh yeah that's bills. why they would put the horse down because they would never yeah. be able to be fully functioning again too so watching movies like this that that's sort of in the back of our heads now and you can see they're not treated the best um, but luckily stuff did turn around within the decade so the land rush happens Everyone is happy except Yancey, who goes back home, and they're all <laughs> without any dinner, land. Without any wow, land, wow. and he's sitting around the family's dining room table. His wife is there. His son Cimarron, who is uh, a kid, like a toddler. Yeah, he looks maybe. like he's like four. Okay, a little bit older than a toddler. Yeah, but he's he's a little kid, and he but this guy Yancey too, I guess. Not only does he know everyone, but he knows how to do everything. Oh, yeah. he's a lawyer, but he's also an editor. <laughs> and so he decides, well, I didn't get any land, but I'm going to go to the new Boomtown Osage, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the new editor. Uh, I'm going to set up a paper there because their previous editor died. So that's what he wants to do. And I, I feel like he's getting ready to go by himself. And then his wife is like, no, I'll go with you. And he's kind of like, okay. <laughs> All right, sugar. But during this scene, there's one of the most disturbing things 
I have seen so far in our journey through this. And so this is 1889. This is post-Civil War. This is post-emancipation. And this is also in the northern states. And suspended from the ceiling is a little tiny couch, like chaise lounge. And in it is a little black boy that is basically serving the purpose of a fan. Yeah. So they yell up to Isaiah, who is just chilling up there. They yell up to him to fan them, and that's his job. And I thought, this this is I this is terrible. Well, not only that, but they, they're speaking in a manner that they would assume that he's less intelligent. Like Oh, he they all of his dialogue, yeah. Like they'll speak normally to everyone else, but to Isaiah they speak in I don't know, broken English, essentially. He also, his his dialogue is terribly written to make him sound like he's less intelligent. All of the, and they're servants at this time, they're not slaves, but the servants in the home are all black, and they all have this affected way of speaking, which is the, it's the dialogue that's written. We see it later with Native American characters. Oh, yeah. That are are such caricatures of what they are, and it's so sad to watch, and it's hard to watch, especially now in today's world, it's so hard to watch knowing that this is this is how they were represented, yeah, um, and how people thought of them, and they just really didn't care. They were they made them caricatures as opposed to characters. And I also read that they they did a remake of Simran uh, later in, in on and made a lot of fixes when it come when it came to that. I thought because when we first even started discussing the fact that we were going to be watching this movie, Patrick, you sent me a trailer and you're like, oh, no, here's what we're in for. And it was this scene. And I was like, oh, man, this is just going to be racial stereotypes and women washing the dishes. This is going to be kind of painful. And there were a lot of painful parts. But I was, I'll have to say, a little bit pleasantly surprised because Yancey actually played a very progressive character yeah. Who said some amazing things, especially for the time period. And the woman who wrote the the novel, her name was Edna Ferber. A lot of people re- referred to her novel as like a pro feminist novel, and she says, "Oh well, this was like a, a this was a, a satire of you know how the the society of women at the time." Which that makes sense because Yancey's wife, her name was Sabra. For the majority of this film, up until the very end. She's very much representing how women were, in my mind, like society was making women think. Banding together with other women, you know, talking bad about more women. You know, she was doing it with everybody. She was um, saying racially insensitive things to not only her servants, but also to the Native Americans and calling them filthy and all these things. She represented this, you know, this ugliness of society but at the same time, like, it's it's so curious. This film really confused me because who really was the main character? Uh, I, don't I don't know. I don't at, know. At the end of the film, I stopped and I went, for 1931, that was the one of the most progressive and feminist films I've ever seen. Yeah, but only towards but the end, <laughs> right? You really get that in the last five minutes, but leading up to it, I'm like, well, well, there's, there's some progress because, like you said, Yancey is all about... He says Indian rights, Indians rights, uh-huh. but Native American rights. And he's a, a staunch believer in that. Mm-hmm. We have to give them their rights. Even I to the point where he's he's running for governor and he's ready to print because he has an established newspaper at that point. He's ready to print an article about how this land is being stolen from mm-hmm. the Native Americans. And she, her, his wife, Sabra, is like, don't print that. You know, you're going to lose your you're going to lose the, the race. You're going to 
bring us all into turmoil and all this stuff. Uh, and he's like, I don't care. I'm still doing it, which was lovely. I mean, it's great that he I'm going to take a stand and this is what I'm going to do. Um, and so they had, there were a lot of these themes that we see in films today. It's also sad that we're still having to try to learn these lessons. But like towards the end, I went, I, I don't know who this movie was about. And partly it's because Yancey, you would think, would be the lead character. But yeah. he's constantly leaving. He's constantly he's leaving. Just constantly I don't understand. Leaving. So it's said early on in this film that he can't stay in one place for more than five years, which proves to be true because he's ready to run off and claim the land in the West. His wife and family comes along with him. They start to, oh, they start to get established, but then there's another land rush that happens for the Cherokee Strip. So he's he's wanting to go off and, and get that land where his wife is like, no, no, we've got a good thing going here. Let's just keep building what we have. I've I, I have friends in this town. Like we know people. We've got a business going. Why would we rush off to get new land and have to start all over again? And you know, despite her her wants and desires and needs, he just abandons his wife and children every five years. It's bizarre, and I understand because by the end, Sabra's had to grow in order to stay alive. She becomes a businesswoman. She becomes a congresswoman at the end, which she wouldn't have been able to do if she was stuck under the thumb of being a wife. You know, mm-hmm. he gave her, I guess he he left. And as a result, it gave her the need to grow and become a very strong woman in, in her own right. But that doesn't happen until the very end of the movie. So it was, it, to me, this movie was very confusing. My thing too is I... I didn't quite know what story you wanted to end up with at the end. Do you want to tell the story of Oklahoma becoming a state and showing progress and showing how the city grows, specifically the city of Osage? Or are you telling a story about women's rights or Native American rights? What story is here? Or are we just telling the story about a guy who just keeps abandoning his family? Yeah. Because he can't sit still for very long. Yeah. like It's a weird movie. You can't say that he's 100% good because he really didn't treat his family that well. And then he would come back into their lives, call his wife Sugar a bunch of times, and she'd be like, oh, okay, everything's fine. So, uh, yeah, that the message was very unclear to me. He'd come back, and then he'd pick up uh, a new skill of some sort, or he'd decide, I'm going to try my hand at lawyering, or, oh, I'm going to be a minister. Yeah, I'm going to be a preacher. Yeah. Yeah, when they first get to the town, that's another thing. They first get to the town, he starts asking about the former editor because he definitely wants some revenge and this goes to that white hat thing he's he's all about what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. and he starts asking about around he figures out who did it and for whatever reasons the people that are in charge of the town who all know him because everyone knows everyone knows yancey they ask him to minister a service in their 100% non-denominal, all-denomination church, oh, it, temple, yeah. mosque, which is amazing. It was so sweet. I That was, was the thing everything. that I was like, this is amazing for the, 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 yes. for the film being made in the time that it was. All of the amazing positive messages, even though it did include a lot of negative stereotypes, I, I, I almost kind of think that they included those negative stereotypes as a satire. Like to show where we're at with this stuff. And then here's progress over here. We have to show the bad to show the good and the progress. There's a terrible stereotype that they show when they first get to town. Yancey and his family are on one wagon. And Isaiah, who is the little black boy that was hanging from the ceiling, he goes with them 
because he wants something new and exciting. So he goes with them. They like him. And he's driving the other wagon. And Yancey's kind of pointing out all of these things. Sabra, his wife, is thinking this is this is a total shithole, <laughs> which I agree. The town is a shithole. It was a shithole. Uh, absolute shithole. And then he points out to Isaiah, oh, look, Isaiah, there's a whole pile of watermelons <laughs> over right. there. And they show the watermelons. Oh, so and then bad. they show Isaiah, and he just lights up. And I went, oh, come on, Hollywood. Come on. Oh. I also kind of wonder, like, was that a huge, strong stereotype at the time? That I don't know. Because, like, know. now we're very aware of how awful that is. Were they but that's not easy aware? writing. Apparently they weren't. The easiest writing is to put in a stereotype. Oh. So if you don't know how to write for a person or a specific culture, let's, well, let's, let's make him, he's Italian, let's make him a, he owns a pizza parlor. <laughs> You Look, know? there's a wagon oh, full of bla- cannolis. <laughs> yeah. Hey, oh, he's a little black kid. Look at all the watermelons. Yeah, I I had to stop at that moment and get a drink. Yeah, um. but you know what? I was like, and I love Isaiah. I thought he was so endearing and a wonderful character. Oh, yeah. And so I looked into him a little bit. The actor who played him, his name was Eugene Jackson. He was actually the first African American child to have a speaking part in a major motion picture. So he was he was a, a groundbreaking little guy. But the the thing that kind of bummed me out was I was looking at his IMDb page, and he had done. Mm-hmm. Did you look at it? Yeah, he had done it's so, amazing but sad at the, at same, the time. same time, right? He had done so many films. His IMDb page went on and on and on and on. But the sad part was, it was all uncredited, uncredited, bit part, bit part, bit part, mm-hmm. bit part, uncredited. Like he never got a really good foothold. He worked consistently, but he just never got the credit. Or got, you know, the bigger parts, which, like, how? How does that even happen? And he was also associated with the Our Gang yeah, that's show right. for a while. Yeah. He was one, like, I don't think he was one of the main characters, but I think he was someone's brother or cousin yeah. or something. He played the um, the character of Pineapple. And, and he did work up until, pretty much up until shortly before he passed away. Yeah. But you're right. The majority of it is uncredited. Yeah, and I don't understand uh, why. They they get to the town and they start to get set up and they stop for a night and they stay in some hotel. Sabra, again, hates it because it's a shithole. And he says, oh, don't worry, we'll be fine. And immediately leaves her and goes <laughs> to the gambling casino, den, yeah. bar, restaurant, whatever. It's all sin. in one yeah. across the way. I'm like, you're an asshole. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they sell him as being such a wonderful person, but at the same time, he just keeps he's just leaving. not really good to his family. So there's a little uh, a little guy who goes up and down the street of this town selling notions, and he's being bullied by the town gang, and Yancey stands up for him. But I didn't really think too much more of this character, other than the fact that he was a smaller guy, and he was being bullied by the gang of the town. And so Yancey uh, uses this... Uh, I don't know, gambling den, because it's the only thing that's big enough to be the church for the town, and welcomes everyone in. And I I just thought this was such an amazing moment when he says that this is a church, this is a, a temple, this is a, all of these, like, basically saying all religions are welcome here. And the little guy comes up to the front and sits on a little, a little barrel, and then he, like, kind of raises his hand, and he's like, am I, am I welcome here? And he's like, of course you're welcome here. I'm like... Oh, he's Jewish. Oh. Like, oh, because it wasn't obvious to me, but it was just like, it's so sweet. Like, it's. But it's also, it's like, it's so inclusive. Yeah. I mean, he does say this is going to have to do until we can get houses of worship for all of the different denominations. 
but the fact that they're just like, we just sit down, I'm going to preach uh, for a little bit and take what you want from it. And if it applies to you, awesome. And if not, that's okay. But we're all here congregating together. Yeah. And he welcomes in together. Dixie Lee and the other girls. Yeah. Which I, they're all kind of dressed the same and everybody kind of hisses and glares at them when they walk in. So I have to imagine that maybe this is the, the ladies of ill fame of the town. I think so. Um, I think so. But he even welcomes them in. Um, and then proceeds to... <laughs> I wonder if you're going to think the same thing as me. Proceeds to bully everyone and threaten them if they don't give their two bits of a tithe to buy an organ. Oh, absolutely threatens them. And so they all start donating money. But then he um, does say everyone has to pay except for the the Native Americans because we stole their land. But then I I love or I hate. I'm curious. If, is this what church was like back then? Because he delivers a, a sermon uh, he shoots a man, in church, yeah. um, and then uh, they all pray. Yeah, but the but, thought, the, okay. but the prayer was like, "God bless us, everyone." Okay, we're good. It was so it was so <laughs> no. fast. Yeah, like the lead up I'm to so... the actual like sermon was was really long, and like you said, yeah. involved shooting a man, and then the actual like service was just one line of a a Bible thing. That's <laughs> funny. I'm like, all right, we're we're are we done here? We're done. Yeah, we're done. Okay, That's good. Cool. Let's just uh, wrap somebody, this up. Somebody uh, clean up yeah. that body, please. The body was, or the person who he killed, was the guy who killed the former editor. Got his revenge, and now he can move on with setting up the paper there. Or I guess not setting it up, but taking it over and helping to grow the it. The Oklahoma wigwam, which I thought he was establishing himself. Did he take it over, or was think, that his... Well, I thought he, they kept he saying that, that was the old... I think he created a new newspaper, but that was the old printing oh, press, yeah. everything. Because their house was the... The press was the where they made the newspaper. They made the newspaper in the front room, and the back room was like the dining room table yeah. and stuff like that. And they also hire a guy, and I can't remember the name of the character, but there's a guy who helps. Ricky. Say again. I think it's Ricky. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It is, and he. I really like this character because he's he's there to help. They hire him to to manage the printing press, and he has a stutter. And but 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 it's not, not like a Broadway, Broadway melody. melody where it was a, it was making fun of this was a person. It was awesome because look here, we're just casting somebody who like well, I mean, I don't think he really had a stutter in real life, but you're casting a character who has a stutter, and that's it. You're just mm-hmm. just for variety of casting. This person has a stutter. They don't. I mean, they make fun of it here and there, just you know, naturally as people would at the time. But they're not making fun of. They're not mocking. This this person has a stutter. Which I thought was well, and I think really awesome. I want to believe that there was a purpose to it that not just, okay, we cast somebody with a stutter. He's got a stutter, but at the end of the film, he loses his stutter because he's gained confidence um, and he's kind of come into his own. And he even comments himself, no more stutter. Yeah. See, look, look what I did. So we see, we in this film, we see people grow. And people learn to overcome certain difficulties. And we also are seeing a town grow. You're seeing a state grow. You're seeing women grow. There's a lot of progression from That's right. what we were you know what? to something new. We There's were saying earlier that. in this, I'm like, I didn't know what the theme was. But I'll bet you anything that Maybe that's it what it was. Because people growth. were, yeah, growth. <laughs> like, you can be in a bad situation and things can get better, which is what people needed to hear at that time. So on a technical aspect, I did notice that the close-up shots were, were great, were super clear. The medium shots were also very pretty, but the wide shots in this were terrible. And so I don't know if it's a matter of the cameras at the time were unable to 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 handle 
so much, I don't know if it's light or just so much stuff coming in at once, or if the wide shots were just in a less controlled situation. But anything inside that was either uh, medium or close-up, amazing. Even some of the outside shots are close-ups, great. But when the camera moved to to a wide or even a panoramic view, the quality is terrible. I guess I didn't so really that, notice that. It's. I was just like, I'm, I'm trying to think of like technical stuff too. Mm. Is that a sign of the, the technology at the time or is that due to just age of the film? Yeah, who knows? That's an interesting, I don't know. interesting thing. I also still, I like, just like every other uh, film that I've watched so far, uh, I had to watch it with the subtitles on again because the, it's really hard to understand what they're saying. I, I don't know if it was because of this, like they still hadn't perfected sound, but it's just, it's always so hard to understand what people are saying in these old films. I took a page out of your book and I had the, the subtitles Makes on. Makes a difference. It was difficult. Yeah. I started and went, nope. <laughs> yeah, subtitles. right from the beginning, yep. So we only go ahead a year. The big land rush was 1889. Um, we now jump ahead to a year. They've been there for a year and there's a bank robbery. And it is a full-on, everyone in town is just shooting everybody. Yancey literally shoots from the hip. So I'm curious oh if this is... It's so funny. You and I are the same person because I, had... <laughs> I had to look this but all up But he literally, like, he takes his gun out and he, honestly, he plants it on his hip and shoots from the yeah, hip. Yeah, and he and does I it, thought, like, multiple is... times. That's the only way he multiple shoots his times. gun. Yeah. So is that... Is that from this movie? Um, is that a style of shooting well, back then? Yeah, I looked it up. And to oh. be on it, because I was super curious because I wanted to talk to you about this. I love that you picked up on this too. I did, yeah. Because it's just so obvious. He, like, he, he shoots his gun a couple of times and every single time it's it's almost like he's strategically trained to shoot from his hip because it like he has a proper form and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it turns out back in the real West, people most people didn't have guns. Uh, sharpshooters and all of this, like fan, what they call fanning, which is like the... You know, where they're cocking the gun and they, they shoot and they just like, it's almost like mm-hmm. a machine gun, but with, you know, with a, a revolver. Like, none with of that revolver. happened. <laughs> it's all Hollywood. So this stuff didn't really actually happen. And most people who own guns, well, most people didn't own guns. They If they needed a gun, they would borrow it from somebody who had a purpose for having a gun. This, from what I gather, is more Hollywood because they're saying that shooting from the hip and even nowadays, to do this is very inaccurate, which I think is maybe where the saying comes from because if somebody's shooting from the hip, they're just like spitballing. It's not accurate. It's just they're just there and it comes out. Shooting from the hip is you only have enough time to pull the gun out to to aim it at the person. And if they were to do this often, they're, they were very much in danger of shooting their own foot or shooting themselves because if they pull the trigger as <laughs> I put, did it again. Yeah, it was like a dangerous thing to do and it's very inaccurate. It's only used if you're in very very close proximity and in in danger. So if somebody's coming at you and they're like a couple feet away shooting from the hip, you've got a good a good chance at defending yourself because if you take the time to bring the gun up to aim using your eyeball, you've already lost all that time that person's already stabbed you in the face. So <laughs> So I, I believe from the little bit of of uh, research that I've done that I think this is very much a Hollywood thing. All right, yeah. interesting. Because it's just and especially since Yancey is shooting and like he shoots the the ear of a guy like with such precision, yeah. but from, from the, hip, the hip, that is not a thing. Like you can't. No, that's not a thing. Okay. So I learned something today. Yeah. <laughs> we all learned something today. But I love that we both uh, had the same questions. My one one question was why did he shoot from the hip, and the other one was. Yeah. 
How does Yancey know literally everyone in the territory? Everyone. Sadly, during this gunfight, he does save the day and he kills all the bank robbers. Um, one of them being the kid, who's somebody that he knows. Who tries to rob him is... at the beginning of the film. But, he, yeah. of course, it's under the whole same thing of Yancey knows everyone. They come to try it's, to rob him goes... and his wife as they're trying to move from Kansas to what is, will then become Oklahoma. And, yeah, he, he like this band of robbers comes and he's like, hey, I know you. <laughs> yeah. The kid holds him up and then is like, oh, Okay, this is okay. Awkward. Sorry about that. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I think Yancey invites him to stay, and he's like, "No, no, I made it awkward with the gun, <laughs> so we're just gonna go." But then we see him again robbing the bank, and he kills him. And they have a little moment because they are friends. And Yancey and the kid is like, I, "You had to do it. I'm sorry." And Yancey apologizes, and he saves the day. But during this gunfight, Isaiah is shot, and Isaiah has been actually a great lovely character he's just Um, positive all the time but he does have the longest death i've ever seen (laughs) it well i thought he died and then i went oh no No, he comes back to life and then he dies again Uh, he dies it was a bit of a mugging death but yeah it was real i also thought it was almost a waste of a character because he 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 was set up a little bit but there's so much more that could have happened later on also during this um this big shootout scene you see little sim who is still four years old (laughs) For some reason, but he's hand in hand with this little Native American girl, yeah, and they're in the Ruby. middle of the um, yeah, Ruby, and they're in the middle of the road, and you only see them for like a split second. You're like, wait a minute, was that? And uh, they run out of the way, and the reason why Isaiah gets killed is because he's he runs out into danger to try to save little Sam, but it's so sweet because this like this little boy and little girl, little Native American girl, like they are like best friends, and then turns out later on. Sim falls in love with her. She's the chief's daughter, and they get married. So it's really, it's really yeah. sweet. And it's also the that innocence of of children that have not yet learned to be racist, because they're just friends playing with mm-hmm. each other. And then you know, and his and his mom is pretty much anti Native American. She's anti everything. But he, she's anti everything. But he overlook, well, not overlooks that. He I guess overcomes that, or just doesn't care. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to marry her anyway. Yeah, he's, he more falls in line with his dad. But his then dad, they yeah. have a little girl, and she falls right in line with her mom. She's just a nasty piece of work. <laughs> because she's, she's like, she gets mad. So you, her name is Donna, and you see her as a little girl. Uh, Yancey goes away for another however many years, comes back. She's fully grown. <laughs> and Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait. Wait, that was fast. Yeah. Cimarron is still five. No, yeah. he's not. <laughs> Yeah, Yancey goes, this is when Yancey goes for the Cherokee run right. because they open up more land. And he's like, uh, I'm going to try my hand at more land. And I think Sabra's like, you have a house here and a newspaper. All right, well, well, I'll see you later. He's already gone. <sighs> and a newborn. And then when he comes, and a newborn, when he comes back, Donna is now, she's. She's of, a, of an age where she could marry. Yeah. Uh, which was still They've super young. But she, so yeah, little Sim comes in to tell his mom, oh, I'm going to marry Ruby. Mom does not like this, but he's like, well, dad's okay with it. And yeah. also, I'm still doing it. She's amazing. But then Donna, who, that's what I found a little disappointing, but I guess it's supposed to represent the the negativity of, of women keeping themselves down, is that Sabra is totally against people who are not white. Donna follows in her footsteps, and she's like, well, if she's going to marry, if he's going to marry Ruby... Then I'll marry just the richest man in town. And it turns out the richest man in town is this old guy. And I think Cut his to. character's name is Hefner. Oh, it yeah. is. Yeah. Which I was like, 
That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, clearly that can't have any correlation, but... She says that, and then they literally cut to an old guy, and she ends up marrying this old guy, basically because she's like, I'm going to marry for money. Yeah. And And despite my brother who married for love. Yeah. Yeah. Which is bizarre. Uh, so, so like, yeah, it, I don't it's know not how that's until a spite, the, even but... at the end, I guess maybe at the end, Donna soften, softens up a little bit. Yeah. And then <laughs> Yancey disappears again. Again. Again, and... he disappears. Well, there's uh, before we go to that disappearance, when he comes back in this this previous one, there's there. I, I feel like we're getting better. Hollywood is getting better at telling a story and showing passage of time. Yes. Uh, for example, when they are headed to Oklahoma, we see them traveling across the screen in their wagon, and there's a nice fade from one shot to the next of them traveling, and then we see it fade into nighttime, so we know they're on a journey. And uh, so there's there's that really nicely done. When he comes back this last time, um, he's he's in like the front room of the house and he's going to go into the next room and the camera actually starts to pan with him walking and then it cuts to the next room and the camera's there and now picks up with him walking into the room and like there's there's actual moving camera shots now. It's just showing passage of time. It's showing people walking and moving. Like Hollywood's getting better at telling stories with cameras. Yeah, definitely growing. As opposed to, I'm just going to put my camera here and just capture everything. Um, it's now forcing the plot along with the with the actual camera movements. So I kind of wanted to point that out because we're starting to see more of that in these films as we get into the 30s. Yeah, now. filmmakers are starting to really change the game. And then, like you said just a second ago, Yancey disappears. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> but this time is when Sabra has the most growth because... Mm-hmm. I kind of have to like Yancey is all over the place because he, he at some point he's rev- running for governor as a progressive candidate. Uh, there's a guy that comes in that tries to be corrupt and oh, he tries, tries to buy, to buy him. him. Yeah, buy him off and he shoes him away and he's decides that he's going to use his paper to print. We talked about this earlier, a very progressive thing about the rights of Native Americans and. It, this could, you know, obviously kick him out of the running for governor, and his wife knows that, but he's going to do it anyway. And he says, at, you know, as soon as my name isn't at the top of the newspaper, and it says your name at the top of the newspaper, then you can make that call. But my name is still on the newspaper, and so therefore I'm going to print this article. Then he disappears. <laughs> and he disappears. And she keeps the name on the newspaper. She does, though. which she I find very interesting. She stays very faithful mm-hmm. to him. But he disappears yeah, and just for years. Her. And now we fast forward to where Oklahoma is now like a little bit more recognizable for what it is today. She's got an office. She's behind a desk. She's an old, old, old woman now. She's, I guess, now a congresswoman. I don't know if she was being sworn mm-hmm. in or what, anything like that. But his name is still on top of the newspaper. But she does look back on that article that she told him not to print. And she has it kept in yeah. this really nice scrapbook. And apparently, you know, in within the movie, this article did a lot for people progressively. It's also a huge jump because it jumps from 1907 to 1929. So he's been gone for a long time. But but we see that the newspapers now it's it's been 40 years since he started it. So they want to po- they want to print some of their you know best of articles. <laughs> and this is the one that she wants to lead with. She remembers it fondly because. It's something that was probably near and dear to his heart. But also, I think you're right. She's grown so much that now 
this is something that's probably near and dear to her yeah, heart, too. Yeah, but I think the thing that's disappointing to me is that she's grown so much, but we didn't see the growth. It just skips to oh, no. from when she's a bigot to now she's she's better. Now, now. she's better. But I yeah. wanted to see the journey. But and also, why? Why did he leave the last time? That's something I didn't understand. He leaves the last uh, he time. He just left. And that's it. I don't remember a reason for no, leaving. No, there wasn't. So yeah, we don't see we don't see the journey, but all of a sudden we cut to the fact that she's you know successful and all that stuff. We don't know where Yancey went. He's just gone and is gone for a really long time. Oh, he dips out. Dips out. Everybody's yeah. grown. And she becomes super successful. Yep. And then the kids have kids. Yeah. After the ban- yeah right. That's true. That's true. So after the banquet, mm-hmm. that's congratulating the fact that she is now a congresswoman and she's super progressive and she's you know a a better and changed woman. Uh, they start talking about the oil boom, and so she's she I don't I guess she kind of just like walks outside to these oil fields, which I found kind of strange. I don't know if she traveled to them, but that oh, they was, were like right there. Yeah. I feel like the oil fields were right. They there. were. They were like right outside, which weren't in the establishing shot, but. Whatever. Uh, all of a sudden, they're on the, you know this oil field, and then a big explosion happens. And lo and behold, the person who had saved everyone had jumped on. I guess it was like a nitroglycerin. Is it nitroglycerin? A nitroglycerin bomb. bomb. Yeah, yeah, he jumped on it to save everybody. And they're, they're like, oh, they call him old Yance. And she's like, oh, that's my husband. <laughs> who I seen. Which I'm not bitter about or angry about at all. You left me with my kids and alone in this time period and where you it was wait, really hold hard on. for women. You've been working. With no letters. Oh, he doesn't working... write letters. What? He never even oh, corresponded no. with her. She didn't even know if he was alive. But she hears old Yance. He took one for the team. Run, knows immediately it's him. Runs over in this you know really pretty dress. Drops down into the mud. Holds him in her arms. While, and then he calls her sugar a couple more times, which apparently that just does it for her because every time he comes back, he just calls her sugar. Melts her heart. <laughs> and then he ties in her arms. I don't really understand what that was supposed to mean. I, so I don't understand that. how long has he been working at the oil fields? And clearly he knows that she's re- there. around the block. Right? Because she's oh, a God, big deal. She's a congresswoman. She's run the successful newspaper. He knows where he can find her. But yet he still stays hidden and he's working as an oil man. Oh, no, I, I think he's actually a, a pretty terrible husband, yeah. spouse, father. father. He's both good and bad. Like, he's good to other people. Because, yeah, one of the times that he comes back, I know we're jumping around all over the place, but one of the times that he comes back, she, she's she, Sabra's already in dress to go to court to try to uh, put... Dixie Lee behind bars because she's a public nuisance. He comes in, calls her sugar a couple times, then jumps into the lawyer position and saves this woman from a. a I mean, man, it's it's a it's a jury of all white males <laughs> against this oh, woman. Oh, it is. But he comes in and and defends her and actually shows the humanity of what Dixie has been through. She had been through a really rough time, um, which was it was so lovely what he did. He's been gone at that point. I think he was gone for like five years. Yeah. And he comes back. You're right. He calls her sugar a couple times. And then he goes, what? I'm going to go save some other woman who you hate. Yeah, because you're super jealous because you always are kind to her. Yeah. Well, uh, also, I think his wife has been thinking that there's something going on. Because this is the same Dixie from the the beginning. And so she thinks something is going on between them. And there's no evidence in the movie of that at all. Um, But also because people think she's a prostitute, then clearly she's not a good person in that world. 
but whatever. He just, I don't know. He, he's very self-righteous except at home. Yeah. And yeah. I, I like think he's a really I good just, friend, but a really bad spouse. really confused me. Like, yes, I agree that it is about growth because clearly we saw growth from everyone except for him. Mm-hmm. We didn't see growth from him, did we? No, we did not yeah, at all. Yeah, so he couldn't have There's been no the main growth. character if that's if that's true. The only person it follows truly is, is Sabra. Sabra. So I'm now thinking, even though it starts strong that he's the main character, it ends with her, and she is the most changed. Yeah. So I'm thinking she must be, and it would make sense because Edna, who wrote the novel, uh, wanted it to be uh, about about women. So hmm. I guess my my next question. So at the end of the film. Um, prior to the explosion, they were about to unveil a statue oh, yeah. in honor of Oklahoma statehood and all of this stuff. So, okay, Yancey dies. They then go back and they unveil the statue. And is it supposed to be a statue of I'm Yancey? I'm pretty sure it's a statue of Yancey. And he's, <laughs> it's hard to tell. He's doing, I think he's, uh, I forget what it is now, but he think he's saving somebody. I think he's saving a Native American or something. Is that what he's doing? Yeah. Uh, it was just like, okay. okay. So it, is you're it because everyone knows him? That, like <laughs> the women are doing all the work and the man just takes the credit for it? I don't I know. Guess. Or they were like, who's somebody that everyone will recognize when we make a statue? Oh, everyone knows Yancey. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Maybe people still all know Yancey. Old Yance. Weird. I don't know. It, that's the thing. Is it like, for, I do appreciate a lot of the progressive stuff that it was, that this movie was, mm-hmm. uh, was talking about. But at the same time, it was very confusing. And... A little long. A little long, but surprisingly good based on what I thought I was getting into. That's true. I thought I was going to be watching a Western or something. It it didn't turn out to be... It had Western-like elements, but... There's a, a element of like Forrest Gump type movies where we see the country grow up around him. We saw Oklahoma grow up around Yancey and his family. Um, and they're the vehicle that we see progress. We see all of a sudden the streets are paved and the bulletin board outside the, the publishing house is now really fancy and there's glass covering it. And so we're seeing the world grow up around them and that's they're the vehicle to see progress. Yeah. So that's kind of kind of an interesting thing to watch it's it is still a little long and then i it, the end literally jumps from 1927 to 1929 the ending was went, abrupt well, did you just like rush this yeah it yeah. the ending was definitely abrupt and i do believe there was a reviewer at the time that said said as much as well they agreed i mean i'm saying it now so <laughs> <laughs> so it means more it has more uh, value so lauren yes were there any quotes or lines <laughs> that jumped out? Because I feel like they were a lot. There was, there was several, but there was one that really stuck out to me. And because of the nature of this film and having to watch the subtitles, I had to keep rewinding it, which is really hard to do when you're streaming and you're trying to like <laughs> rewind on your phone. It never quite goes back to the spot that you want it to. So I had to rewind it like five times in order to catch this because the first time he said it, I'm like, wait, 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 what? Wait, what? I kind of love it. But what? what did you just say? And so I ended up catching it. It was when um, he's first meeting his uh, newborn daughter, Donna. I believe his wife, Sabra, is asking him if he's happy. And he goes, oh, sugar, I'm highfalutin, smiling as a basket of chips. Wait, what? What does that even mean? Number one, I love chips. So I can kind of understand, like, chips are my thing. I, they're probably not referring to the potato chips that I'm thinking of, but I'm highfalutin sugar, smiling as a basket of chips. <laughs> what does that mean? Wow. But I kind of want to use it in everyday life. I think you need to. Yeah. 
Honestly, hey, how you doing like, today? Um, I'm smiling as a basket of chips. How about you? Uh, what was your quote? I mean, there were a couple weird little ones, but the one that I like the most is Sabra's daughter needs a dress made, and she really wants to go someplace to get like like a designer dress, and her mom is is making it, and she she goes, "Well, I can't go out in this homemade fizzle." <laughs> Watch your mouth, young lady. Watch your mouth. Time for... Drinks! What would you drink while watching this movie, Patrick? I'm going to take over and, so, and ask you first. So I, I I like it. I decided to try my hand at making my own drink, and I call it the oil slick Ooh, because there's lots of oil in nice. this. And essentially, it's an old-fashioned, but layer Guinness on top of it. What? And now you're going to think, what is wrong with you? But it actually makes it a little... There's a sweetness to Did, it. So you tried and it. And it will... Oh, it'll knock you on your I ass. I bet it will. And what does it look like? It must... It's it's slightly layered. You can see the, the progression from light to dark. The the Guinness sinks to the bottom, so it's a little bit darker on the bottom than it is. I was hoping for it to be the other way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but it's nice and dark on the bottom. It's a little bit lighter and has the old-fashioned color on top. And and then the the head of the Guinness floats on top of that. Oh, that sounds um, like a real humdinger. But it will... <laughs> yes, it is, but it will absolutely uh, put you out. How about you, Lauren? So I went with a with very similar. I also went with an old fashioned, but because I wanted to find something brandy based, because the only okay. drink that they really ever drink in this movie is a brandy. They settle up to the bar, and the bartender says, "Yeah, Yancy, I know you as well as you know everybody else. <laughs> Here, have a drink." And so he puts down a bottle of brandy, and I thought it was very interesting that. That's what they would shoot at a bar. Brandy? Why brandy? Brandy. I don't understand. But I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, they have a little shot glasses and they take a couple of shots of brandy. So I found a recipe for a brandy old fashioned because. Oh. Yeah. And I'm like brandy because it's in the movie and old fashioned because they have old fashioned stereotypes in this movie. So I was like, hey, it really encompasses. Oh, that's, that's actually nicely played. <laughs> that's really good. That's I still really think good. you win, though, because yours is way more creative. Oil slick. I like uh, I'm literally, I just poured Guinness on top of yeah. an old-fashioned. Well, we're going to put the recipes for these two cocktails up on our Instagram, Patrick, which is? The award goes to podcast. Follow us there. There's a ton of stuff on there, and I'm constantly adding things, but all of our drinks are on there. Um, there's some behind-the-scenes pictures from the films, but also some video. Thank you for joining us as we journeyed through Oklahoma and picked apart Cimarron. Ha, rickety. Um, <laughs> there it is. Nice. <laughs> Uh, remember to rate, subscribe, leave a review, follow us on the Instagram. All the things, all the things. Um, and the next episode, all the things. And the next oh, episode, yeah. what we'll we be talking next? about the. We're going to be watching the 1931-1932 Best Picture winner, the star-studded, and it really is star-studded, Grand Hotel. Ooh.